The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. To the house, This is unbelievable. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports Wednesday morning. Here, that's Barton Simmons. I'm Chip Patterson. And uh, we've got Ryan Abraham, USCfootball.com, coming up uh, here in just a little bit. Going into under the hood and uh, getting a good look at the Trojans as they have they are 2 and 0 they are on their way to the college football playoff and BYU is up next in the uh, in the Trojans uh, run of wins so uh, so Barton Simmons we've uh, how are you doing right now because we get to be home and we were discussing this right before we we started taping. Everyone talks about this week like it's going to be uh, – it's like, oh, no ranked on ranked teams. Oh, look at all these point spreads. But I, I look at the slate differently. I think, man, I, I get my eyes on uh, – I get my eyes on not fully formed teams, but we're going to get our eyes on a bunch of teams with a – with, with two weeks of action, you know, biggest adjustments that any college football program makes is week one to week two. So we should be seeing true identities revealed this weekend. And I'm looking forward to being able to take it all in from the home studio. Yeah, I am too. And especially because, like, as, as you look at the statistics uh, uh, comprehensively for this season so far, you know, through two weeks, how I, pretty much everyone – has got some sort of just total cupcake under their belt that that totally skews the statistics. I'm looking at you, South Carolina, with your 79 to seven win or whatever it was last week. Record but setting. Record yeah, setting. That's right. <laughs> but everyone's kind of got something like that. And and now, I mean, getting into week three, we're starting to even if it's, you know, uh, I mean, Notre Miss- Dame, New Mexico, Temple, Maryland, Penn State, Pitt, Ohio State, Indiana. How about Georgia, Mississippi, Arkansas State? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Mississippi State, Kansas State. I love Mississippi State, Kansas State. Yeah, that's that's one I'm excited for. You know, Washington State, Houston. I mean, all all these are at least games you can just sort of tabulate as as real. I mean, they're not they're not just going and, and glorified scrimmage against some FCS team or or, or some bottom of the pack. FBS team in the 120s to 130s. So, uh, look, we can start to at least garner uh, and mine out some real valuable information. 
some uh, run, running through some news before we welcome in Ryan Abraham. Uh, first, we go back to Stanford. Speaking of USC, uh, it looks like KJ Costello, the Stanford starting quarterback, will be available as the Cardinal make the trip to face UCF in Orlando. Also, it comes with the update that uh, Walker Little, the the very very talented left tackle, is going to be missing the entire season. This UCF Stanford game, let's throw that onto the list of uh, sort of intriguing games where I feel like for UCF we're gonna. Uh, be able to take a lot of notes and learn a lot about what that team is going to be as it tries to return to the New Year's Six Bowl games as the top-ranked Group of Five program. And for Stanford, coming off that uh, loss to USC, a lot to a lot to wonder about if they're going to be able to pull the pieces together. The Knights are seven and a half point favorites in this game. Do you think that we see KJ Costello? Do you think that KJ Costello makes a difference? And sort of what are the other uh, pieces to this game that you find yourself picking apart or getting excited for? I don't think he makes – I mean, look, I think KJ Costello is really good, but I've been – I forget how much we've discussed this or how much I've had to just sort of be talking about this in other settings, so I, I don't want to – at the risk of, of repeating myself and overstating this, I am not a believer – and Stanford from an identity standpoint, uh, I think there's a real existential crisis at Stanford. <laughs> they're not right. physical. They're not tough. I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to say they're not tough, but they're not they're not strong and and, and physical. And remember, uh, they I think was it this off season where their renowned strength and conditioning coach was let go due to some sort of off the field incident and. I, I don't know that that shows up immediately, but I think it's it's part of the crack in the foundation that's that's starting to to widen. Um, you look at their best offensive lineman gone. You look at uh, um, uh, Foster Sorrell also. Look, it's like he's probably going to be out. Maybe two freshmen playing on the offensive line. Uh, we'll talk to to Ryan Abraham a little bit about how. They got pushed around um, by that USC offensive line. I just, it's not about KJ Costello to me. It never has been. And and there was a lot of JJ Arcega Whiteside just being someone that could go up and, and catch jump balls and and mask maybe some of the flaws that that offense and that team had. And you still got Kobe Parkinson, and they're still throwing some jump balls to him. But I've just lost. I've lost all faith in, uh, in in Stanford as a team you can trust. Uh, please watch CBS Sports HQ at 4 p.m. every single weekday. It is a college football show, cbssportshq.com. You can also get it on all of your CBS Sports devices, 24-7 streaming news service. Barton and I are on it a very good bit. And, yes, that was where we did the one-two punch on Stanford on CBS Sports HQ. I called it an identity crisis. Barton had to follow, and he took it to existential. I mean, just, just drag the Cardinal on CBS Sports HQ. You can watch it weekdays at 4 p.m. Um, you know, another guy that's, that's 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 no longer there that was a big part of their identity, and not, not to dwell on this, we can move on, but Mike Bloomgren, too. And and as we see Rice putting up points on Wake and, and you know, moving the ball against an Army team that even Michigan had trouble moving the ball against and kind of turning this, this physical style of play loose on a Rice team that had been running spread their whole life, it's. I think that's interesting and noteworthy to wonder if if Mike Blue, Mike Bloomgren's departure has has had an impact as well. 
Um, also in the news, Ed Ogeron coming out and say, mentioning that he believed that the air conditioning was out in the visitors' locker room at Daryl K. Royal Memorial Stadium. Um, this, you know, on one part of it, it is uh, it is kind of a, a shrug my shoulder. I've always assumed that the the visitors' locker room was going to have some kind of less than ideal experience. On the other hand, I I perfectly would understand if you know some some staffer just didn't look at the thermostat or didn't hit the button or, or you know this this could be something that's very very simple though it's led to a war of words uh texas denies that the ac was broken other opponents coming out and saying they've never had issues with the air conditioning feel free to comment on that in particular uh if you want also we could just acknowledge it was hot as hell so i mean <laughs> like maybe it was just hot because you had a hundred uh bodies that were just out there in 100 degree weather and then you put them in a locker room so uh if if you've got a thought there but i i wanted to also take this into barton's uh worst visiting locker room experience from your playing career as a uh, two-time all ivy league selection at yale <laughs> uh well first of all the i'm just, I just you sort of go through the the injury reports this week uh, bj foster for texas has got a significant hamstring injury he's out it looks like um Caleb on Chasen is in a walking boot for LSU. Glenn Logan, Richard Lawrence, unlikely to play. There's cramps all over the field, so much so that Tom Herman was sort of asked in the postgame presser if he felt like it was a disadvantage or threw his team out of sorts, and he said yes, and asked if it was uh, he felt like they were authentic or genuine in their injuries. He said, I don't know. Uh, just sort of, uh, it was a very, there's clear frustration with all that, but it was a hot night. It was a, and, and uh, perhaps it just leaked into, seeped into that locker room. Uh, as for the second question, you know, the, I can't remember one where there were from a climate standpoint, it was miserable. Honestly, the worst lo- visiting locker room that I had was probably Harvard. And I love the Harvard stadium. It's this big coliseum vertical stadium we play them in late november where it's just this turns into a wind tunnel and it's freezing out there but their visiting locker room is like you walk into the side of the stadium into a door that's for like uh well i don't know a a midget door like gnomes like it's like a five foot high door and you got all these six foot three six foot five guys that have to sort of duck under there and you go into this, you're basically like under the bleachers of a high school stadium or something, and there's like gravel, and it splits you into two rooms. There's not enough room for the whole team to convene for one talk. You, you know, the defensive guys sort of have to uh, listen to the to the team get up before uh, we go back out. On a closed circuit. You've almost got like closed circuit. <laughs> <laughs> like you've got to watch I mean, it it's in ridiculous. the auxiliary it's, room. It's, yeah, it's old school. Be- and they have a beautiful facility. Um for 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 sort of post game and pre game, but but ha- the halftime locker room is 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 just a mess. So that that would be probably the best one that I could come up with for you. But I'm sure there's probably a couple others that I'm that I'm not even thinking of. There was <laughs> we weren't we weren't hitting the best facilities on the Ivy League Patriot League tour in uh, in September October. The uh, so it's like Harvard's facilities were still built for 1700 heights basically (laughs) (laughs) well no because they actually had nice facilities on like the you know for them and for the 
uh, you know, the, the locker rooms and the, the, the weight rooms and the athletic facilities, but in the visitors locker room specifically for the game, it was just, they're basically just like stick you under the stadium and under the bleachers and say, figure it out. Uh, also, and, uh, wanted to, let me fire up the, some sound here. Nick Saban and Alabama have, uh, have been quite outspoken about their dissatisfaction with getting uh, a noon kick against Southern Miss. And for, uh, there's, there's lots of different ways to attack this one. Like, first of all, doesn't, Alabama has probably gotten preferable kickoff times for a while. And also, complaining about kickoff times, in my mind, doesn't, um, doesn't resonate because you have exchanged the right to set your kickoff time when you accept the money from your media partners because the media partners get to set the kickoff times and that is one of their rights in that agreement that includes millions and millions of dollars being paid to the conferences and distributed to the school. So just just to get that one out of the way, I understand that for fans there are times that you would love to, to be at the stadium tailgating and leaving the stadium and getting home. But the reason why those game times are totally out of your favorite coaches, your favorite athletic directors, your school's control is because uh, that brand new facility was built with some of that media rights money. So just to go ahead and get that part out of here, Alabama, they, they point to some heat, heat concerns. And that is, uh, you know, health is, a, is something that, that, you know, fan health and health and safety, I, I can understand some of that there. But um, I, it's led to some some fun in terms of some some jabbing in the Iron Bowl rivalry. So let's get uh let's let's hear what Gus Malzahn had to say about some noon kickoffs this week after Nick Saban was outspoken against them. Okay, uh, we're uh, our guys are excited to uh, to be back home um, for our second home game, playing a very solid Kent State team. Uh, Six p.m. kick. Uh, personally, I wish it was at noon. We'd have more time to prepare for our next opponent. Uh, really, <laughs> I love hot seat Gus. Yeah, I love it. I love hot seat Gus. Just yeah, I mean, and and I'll be honest, like I, I'm, uh, I'm almost a little surprised. I guess Alabama's just you know they want prime time as much as possible, but I mean, this is it's almost just defaults to the scheduling debate that I know Nick Saban's sick of talking about, but if you don't play anybody, you're going to get the, you know, of course Alabama's going to be in the prime window when they play someone decent, and that's just what happens when you don't play anybody. And I actually, I, 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 I think that most coaches, I don't know, I, I most coaches I talk to, I'll put it that way, would would probably side with Gus Pelzon here. I, don't, I think it was a shot very clearly, and it was it was awesome. Well executed, and right in your well op- opening. Shot. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but I think, but I do think it's probably there's some some honesty to it too. I think a lot of coaches, you know, like to be. I mean, you've got the whole day blocked off if you're playing at nighttime, and then you've got, you know, you're not done till really late. Sometimes there's travel um, there, you know, and then Sunday hits, and I mean, it's bedtime, and then Sunday hits, and you're back to work. Whereas Saturday, if you get done by two o'clock then you got some time to spend with your family you've got some time to you get a jump start on prep for the for the next day and the next week so i actually think gus malzahn is as much as it was a shot is probably a shared opinion the uh 
and Alabama, I think also probably comes into that spot where uh, Auburn Kent State gets 6 p.m. because it's not going to be on one of the most like widely. It's not going to be like one of the first round of picks, right? Like it's probably um, you know going to be on that on on an SEC network on an ESPN two because Alabama is Alabama. They get bumped up to you know one of the first rounds of picks, but because they're playing Southern Miss, you don't get the prime time, and that's kind of why they get slotted right there. So it's like, yeah, but but you're Alabama, and you've gotten a lot of uh, kickoff time, uh, a lot of kickoff time advantages, and uh, and again, ah, uh, come on, come on. It's just I, I felt like there was no sympathy out here in these college football streets when Alabama's screaming about a kickoff time. Yeah, that's uh, that's Nick Saban just looking to. He's just a uh, perpetually unhappy, unsatisfied person. And that's what makes him so good. Sure. And it's a gift in a way. But, I mean, the guy is never happy. And, uh, hey, uh, that's that's why they're, they're never satisfied with number one, I guess. Any, uh, any other news items from the notebook that uh, we want to get out of here? We'll be back on Thursday morning uh, with our – with our week three locks, of course, with uh, Barton Simmons, Tom Fernelli, myself. Uh, anything else before we get to Ryan Abraham? You know, there's a few injuries out there. Okay, I just noticed Oregon State's Addison Gums towards ACL. No, no one doesn't really care about Oregon State except for me, but that's that's going to hurt my over bet, and that's disappointing for Addison, who is a transfer from Oklahoma. Um, you know, Elijah Sindelar for Purdue may be out. Ole Miss got a linebacker, Muhammad Sanago, who, who may be out. So there's there's some key injuries starting to pile up. Something to something to keep an eye on for the for the locks pod for Thursday. No doubt. All right. Here we go. Coming up after the break, Ryan Abraham, USCfootball.com. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance. Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And now it is our pleasure to welcome back to the Cover 3 podcast, friend of the show, longtime, multi-year friend of the show, Ryan Abraham, uscfootball.com, at Inside Troy on Twitter. Uh, Ryan, the, the, the twists and turns of covering USC football make the job uh, never dumb. And, and there have been so many uh, ups and downs along the way here, especially here for what, the last decade maybe um how how would you diagnose this current point uh with with lynn swan being out you know carol folt you know recent arrival now she's going to be in charge of of sort of guiding this whole thing moving forward clay helton you know sort of perma under fire how does this moment compare to some of the other uh twists and turns of craziness that we've seen uh, in the last decade 
Yeah, Chip, it's probably top 35, you know. It's not really that <laughs> high on the list. It's just there's been so many weird things with this USC football program. And, you know, you put yourself, as if you're a program like this, you put yourself in that position when you hire three straight athletic directors that their, you know, their experience was being a former football player. No athletic administration. And, you know, you've never been an AD before. You can only do that for so long. I think USC has a lot of inherited advantages. There's not the competitive landscape on the West Coast like you would have if you're in Ohio State or in Alabama or a Texas. But you've, they've made so many bad decisions over the years. And now they're, the hope is that Carol Fult comes in and just kind of cleans up the mess. But it's a mess that's been built up for a while. And it's university-wide, not just in the athletic department. But this was a good first step, at least for athletics. They needed to have Lin Swan out of there. And they needed someone with real athletic experience in there. So I'm curious to see which direction she takes us, because it seems like she's come in and taken charge over the last couple of months. All right, so why, why don't you give us the, the cliff notes here, update us a little bit on where we're at with USC. Who, so are we in a new position of confidence that, they can, that this administration from top down can handle this more effectively than they have the last, what, three times? And, and I think the follow-up to that for me would be uh, how realistic – or unrealistic is it to expect that an AD hire can get done quickly so that if a decision does have to be made with Clay Helton, USC is equipped to make it? Yeah, those are two really important factors, Barton, because it's not like something that you could take you know, six months to do because you know you might have a big football decision coming up. And that's the main reason you wanted to get Lynn Swan out of there. Or one of, I mean, there's a million reasons, but you, know, you wanted to make someone, put someone competent in that position that could make the right move for your football program going forward because that's the Belco. That's where all the money is made. That's what moves the needle uh, at USC. And I think as far as confidence, because of some of the factors leading up to this, I mean, there's been so many narratives like, hey, the last time they hired an athletic director was 1984, like someone that has been an athletic director before. It's been a really long time. And the LA Times did a big piece on one of the USC mega boosters, Wayne Hughes, who's the founder of public storage. He's given a reportedly $400 million to university. He's been friends with Lin Swan for decades. And a lot of us heard that, you know, he was basically the reason that Lin Swan was put in place. And Max Nikias, the former president, was very focused on raising money. He had a $6 billion capital campaign that they eclipsed. They got to $7 billion. But then some of it was, are you focusing so much on money that you don't really care about the character of some of these guys? And that's where a lot of the, the non-athletic scandals for USC, I think, kind of came from. But because of that L.A. Times story, because of the narrative of hiring three straight football players, I think that Carol Fult does want to bring in someone that doesn't necessarily have to be a USC person, that's been an athletic director before. And she said so much in her statement that they, they wanted someone with experience. So I think it became because it was such a long running joke that USC doesn't really take this hire seriously, that they kind of have to now. Now, who knows? We've seen them make terrible decisions before, but my guess, Barton, is they're going to actually do something to get a good athletic director in there with something we haven't seen for a long time. 
But will it happen in time? And where will USC football be at this time? Okay, so let's let's turn our attention to this team, which already saw JT Daniels uh, get knocked out, but then Keaton Slovis comes in, uh, just sort of a strong emergence for Slovis to to jump ahead and to grab control of Graham Harrell's offense. As you've been uh, sort of grading him in his progression along the way, was there anything that you sensed from being around the team and being around the program that suggested that he would be ready to have – uh, this kind of response to getting thrust into the starting role. Yeah, you know, Chip, I don't think I was expecting what I saw from him. You know, he's completing 85% of his passes. Uh, I mean, he looked really good against Stanford. That Stanford team I thought would be pretty good, but maybe I'm not convinced uh, that they are. They were a little bit bagged up. But, I mean, for a true freshman to come in, make the reads that he did, put the ball in the right spot most of the time, uh, I mean, it really was impressive for him. And the the question for me is going to be, we saw all the quarterbacks get better once Graham Harrell came in and he ran the, this offense in the spring and then he ran it again in fall camp. All of them looked better. Like, could Matt Fink have come in and looked about as good as Keaton Slovis or if JT Daniels wasn't hurt? I feel he would have had a, a similar kind of game. I think the system is so much better, but Slovis did take it to another level. And he's someone that, you know, Barton knows. We, we didn't see him as much on the recruiting trail. He didn't do all the seven-on-seven camps and things like that. He didn't start till his junior year. Now, he did have Kurt Warner as his uh, quarterback coach and, and offensive coordinator in high school. I think that certainly helps. But for a kid like that to come in and show the poise that he did, I mean, he came into fall camp. He expected to win the job from the incumbent JT Daniels. So I think he has a lot of the intangibles. Curious to see what he does. They got three, three of the next four games on the road, some really tough contests. But, you know, you couldn't have asked for a much better debut for a Keaton Slovis, uh, you know, is he Sam Darnold 2.0? It's hard to say at this point, but man, he was he was impressive to me and, and looked better, I think, in the game than we saw him even in practices. So Keaton Slovis is the headline, and, and um, obviously the game he had was impressive. And I, I didn't watch the game in, in real time, but when I circled back and I did check it out, I mean, he didn't disappoint. But I, I, my, my honestly, my bigger takeaway was – kind of what I saw from some of the other areas of USC that have been underachieving in the past. Like, Ryan, I'm curious, can we pin what that offensive line looked like onto this new offense too? Because, I mean, they were there was some plays in that game. I mean, A, there was a lot of time for Keaton Slovis. Granted, he got the ball quickly when needed. But also, I mean, there were some massive holes and some times where they just caved in that Stanford defensive line. Is this a new mentality? Is this a new system? What what can we attribute to some of the uncharacteristic success of the offensive line? Yeah, I love the way you put that. Uncharacteristic success. <laughs> I don't I think if you look at the talent on this line, it's probably not as good as the last couple of years. Certainly not as deep. I think Drew Richmond coming in from Tennessee. The grad transfer helped a little bit. I mean, he, he played pretty good in that game. Um, but I think when they they had Neil Callaway as the offensive line coach, he didn't seem to really relate to the players. They just didn't seem to get better. That, uh, the players didn't look like they were getting developed. They had Tim Drevno on the, the staff last year who come over from Michigan, but he was coaching running backs. So he's coaching out of position. Now he's full-time on the offensive line. I think that's helped. I think Aaron Osmus, the new strength and conditioning coach, has come in and really put a focus on uh, you know, getting these guys stronger and more powerful. And I think all of that has helped. But I did see, like what you saw, Barton, some of that push from the offensive line when they would try to run the ball on, you know, third short situations or wherever. And it seemed to be different than what we've seen the last couple of years. I thought the scheme would help them because, like you said, 
you're going to get the ball out faster. But the line is actually playing better as well. And Graham Harrell would love to have a closer to 50-50 run-pass ratio, even though it's a you know an air raid offense. He, he, he likes to run the ball, too. But you need the offensive line to get that push. Otherwise, you're going to be relying on the quarterback. So I think they feel pretty good about it. The offensive line, like I said, maybe not as talented the last couple of years, but they're playing a lot better uh, from what I've seen so far. How is that group going to f- – oh, sorry, Barton. You want you want to get a little follow-up? No, no, no. Go ahead. It sounds like you got a follow-up on the O-line. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How's, how do you think um, – because there is – Ryan, I'm with you. There's something that's in the back of my mind that's thinking, oh, I don't know if Stanford is as good as I thought Stanford could be. I thought that this was going to be a snapback to what we assume from the David Shaw Stanford Cardinal, and it's possible that we are in uh, a little bit of a valley within the trajectory of that program. And so – uh, with those results being what they were, how would you handicap that group's uh, ability to get the kind of push that they're going to need, to get the kind of protection that they're going to need with, I mean, Utah coming up, Washington coming up, and even some of the physicality that they're going to face this weekend with BYU? Is that something that uh, that that you believe is going to be able to be replicated or at least uh, they'll be able to continue to hold their own against those tough defensive fronts? Yeah, I mean, you got, I mean, Notre Dame's coming up too. Oh, BYU, yeah. you got you know, grown men. Um, that's the that's what I want to watch most. I think Slovis, I think the wide receivers, it's the best group in the Pac-12, one of the best in the country. I mean, they're just making all kinds of crazy catches. And But the, the offensive line against some of those tougher fronts is what I want to see. But the, we had, even against lesser opponents, we hadn't seen them push people around like they did, uh, I think, a pretty good Fresno State defensive front. And then also with... Uh, with Stanford. So I think it's, they're trending in the right direction. Are they going to wilt on the road? Are they going to, you know, wilt under like a relentless pursuit from, from Utah and that probably the best defensive line in the PAC 12 hard to say at this point, but I'm going to give them a puncher's chance because they have just looked better than what we've seen in the past. I think it's a tougher group and a lot of it's coming from like the off season workouts, the strength and conditioning for whatever reason, they just was it just wasn't clicking before there was clicks on the team. Um, and now they're all kind of, you know, they were lifting as one in the offseason. It's such cliche when you talk about strength and conditioning coach, but I've actually seen what they did in the offseason seem to translate on the field. So I, I think I give them a shot, uh, Chip, as far as that goes. But those are going to be the tougher tests. I think over the next four weeks, there are going to be some really tough ones for them. But I think the offensive line is going to play better, even though, like I said, they're probably not as talented as they were the last couple of years. So, Ryan, you've, you've walked into a podcast where for the second straight year, one of us has predicted USC in the playoffs. <laughs> uh, I, I am, am not going to raise my hand this year. I learned my lesson last year, but Chip got sucked in this year to the, to the USC five-star seduction. Uh, that said, as we, as we sort of look at how this team can maybe fulfill Chip's expectations, I don't know who else has them, but Chip's. <laughs> You know, another area where I kind of was encouraged the other night was defense. And, and I, like, where I looked to was Elijah Griffin and some of the big plays he made and in, in, in defending um, Kobe Parkinson and making some plays in the run support behind the line of scrimmage. And, and he just kind of looked like a guy that was out there competing and sort of had a little more, I don't know, attitude than – we've seen over the past on the defense side of the ball for USC and granted look maybe they were just sort of front running as they're going on a 42 to 3 run for Stanford but is there can I can can chip get any confidence in that side of the ball as well like do you feel like there's a vibe of confidence and 
I don't know, competitive uh, toughness on that side of the ball as well? Yeah, you know, and, and, and Elijah Griffin, uh, who's the son of Warren G, which is funny, but he, you know, he was out there. He's given up seven inches and like 75 pounds to Colby Parkinson and was, he, he defended him a couple of times and it wasn't just in garbage time. It was key. Like, you know, USC was down 14 to three and they fumble the kickoff and Stanford could have punched it in and he batted a couple of balls away and yeah. really saved them. I, mean, I think that saved the game for USC. It was 17 to three. Then they went on that 42 to three run, but I like the defensive front a lot, Barton. They're they're rotating guys. Clancy Pendergast hasn't really been a someone that likes to the defensive coordinator to rotate a bunch of guys, but he had eight different defensive linemen playing in that game. They're using more of a four man front, not just against Stanford, but they did it against Fresno State as well. They where a lot of the times they've only had like two guys with their hand on the ground. They've mixed it up quite a bit, and they're they're bringing fresh bodies in. And by the end of the game. I think they were fresh and they were able to, uh, you know, it didn't matter because they were blowing them out, but I think that's going to help them a lot. The linebackers kind of been banged up a little bit, and I don't know if the the play of a guy like a Palier Oteote, who's former five-star, who's all everything, but, you know, he's missed some tackles. I think they're still kind of coming into their their own. And the secondary is really young, but you get a guy like Elijah Griffin, you said, balling out. I think they're a lot more competitive, and I think the important part is that this is a team last year, if you would get punched in the mouth, they would wilt. You know, sometimes they'd go out to a 14 nothing lead on like a Notre Dame or a Utah, and then they would just, you know, something bad would happen and it would go downhill. This was the opposite, where they were they were down, you know, two touchdowns and w- were able to make a big play on defense, and then the offense got going. Um, so I, it, to me, it just seems like there is a little bit of a different attitude and toughness and competitiveness. And, Chip, I wasn't feeling good about your pick after the first game, but after Stanford, you're like, hey, I mean – they have the most talented roster of anyone they play. You guys do the, uh, the 24-7 talent composite. They're number four in the country. Yeah. If they can play up to that potential, which it looked like they did against Stanford, I mean, there's no reason they couldn't you know, make a run here. But it will know a lot over the next month or so with that those four games. But if they can make a run there then Chip, I'd feel pretty good about your pick. Well, and I'm so glad that you mentioned the the strength and conditioning because I'm, I'm not close to the program like you are, but just acknowledging that changes needed to be made there I think was such a huge first step in reestablishing some toughness for a team that didn't – didn't seem to be all that tough. I didn't trust uh, USC's offensive line to be able to get third and short and goal-to-go situations. I didn't trust that defense to be able uh, to not, like you mentioned, you know, wilt in situations where they got punched in the mouth. And so to have these to to you know it was a little bit blind and it was a little bit of belief and a little bit of trying to jump on the other side of the doom and gloom train as everyone's trying to fire Clay Helton by the mid October and slide Urban Meyer in on a golf cart from the Fox Studios like I just I, I wanted to acknowledge the fact that you know they had recognized places where there were needed to be changes both on the at the offense and at the strength and conditioning level and the talent as you mentioned is just phenomenal so why not what why not usc went in the pac-12 it didn't happen that long ago it's just uh it's just going to be as you mentioned very very tough with their schedule coming up and so i guess that's that is the the next step of this is in the clay helton conversation how has your mentality changed if at all about um just sort of projecting predicting thinking or handicapping the way that the trojans are going to perform in some of these difficult tests as we keep moving through the season yeah you know i i looked at all the changes in the offseason i think 
they, they, there was just some glaring errors. Like their talent was about the same as last year. I would say they, they were still fourth in the talent index and they finished five and seven, which is baffling. You know, so that's where you have to be. There's some, there's some, you have to have some caution there. Cause you know, Hey, they had a really good roster last year and still messed it up. Like beyond, like you almost had to try to, to lose seven games last year with the, the kind of players that they had. But then you look forward to this year I think that the Graham Harrell thing was big. The fact that Clay Helton could step away from the offense and they didn't have this kind of gumbo thing where everyone was meddling. People were blaming T. Martin. That wasn't T. Martin's offense. It was like a little bit of Sark, a little bit of Lane. It was just, it was a poorly designed and planned offense. They didn't scheme wide receivers open. It was all hero ball. Now you bring in somebody new. It's a very simple offense and you saw it on display. Even the first couple drives for JT Daniels in the opener. I mean, that was a thing of beauty. This looks like a competent offense and that just that alone they should score 10 more points a game than they did last year and you can win a whole bunch more games but the strength and conditioning coach moving some of the coaches around like you know drevno shouldn't have been the running backs coach they put him back to the offensive line they fixed some things they plugged some holes that were just they were, it was self-inflicted wounds that usc didn't need to have last year that needed to be fixed so i think that's why people can be somewhat optimistic because you look at the talent it's like it's there it's not going to be easy to beat you know a utah go on the road and beat Washington or Notre Dame. But those games are all winnable. I mean, Washington just lost at home to Cal, which kind of baffled me. Um, but so it's there. And that, that people are looking at it like, wow, this is a team that actually could make some sort of a run. It's not like you're Alabama and you have to beat, you know, LSU and Georgia and, and Auburn, all those teams. Like, you, it's the Pac-12. It's not, you know, it's not this killer, murderous row. I thought Washington would be the class of the, the conference. They go out and lose their first conference game. So uh, we'll see. I mean, it's... It's weird. You know, Oregon goes on, you know, on the road and loses to, uh, so they got Oregon coming up later. They lose to Auburn. So I, I think USC has a real shot here, but we've seen them just, you know, you kind of, it's a team that screwed up a free lunch before. I'm not <laughs> sure if they're not going to screw it up again, if you know what I mean. This, this weekend they're heading to Provo, Ryan, what's your, uh, what's your expectation for that one? Kind of a tricky game. Um, and one that I feel like they should, so they probably have their antenna up, make sure they're ready for what, what do you expect out of that one and, uh, and, and see on the horizon there? Yeah, I've watched uh, this BYU team quite a bit at the end of last year. I think Travis Wilson, I mean, he was, uh, he was perfect in the uh, bowl game. Um, they, you know, he had some struggles that Utah front really gave him and that, and the entire BYU team, uh, some fits, but to get, a, to go into Knoxville, even though, you know, it's a Tennessee team that's not, uh, having a great year, but to get that win on the road, I thought that was a big deal. Um, and you know, they'll come home. They got USC and Washington back to back. So it's a, that's a really tough early part of the schedule for BYU. But I think this is a game that the Cougars are going to circle. I think this is one that they really want to win. Uh, if you looked at that, the, that four game stretch that they had with Utah, Tennessee, uh, USC and Washington, what was the easiest game? What would have been the most winnable game? You probably would have said that, you know, five and seven USC squad. Cause at least it was at home. So I think this is something that BYU is going to be up for. Like we said, they're grown men uh, that are playing football. Um, so I, this is not, it could potentially be a trap game. Is USC all really high and mighty after after beating Stanford? They, there's no way you can take your foot off the pedal. But if they come out and score points uh, like we saw, I mean, it could be a, a Big 12 bad kind of game where they just score a bunch of points, but you still you know win or lose. It'll at least be more fun. I think they're going to be able to take care of, of, of business against BYU. But this is one of those games where you might stub your toe a couple of times you have to make sure you're able to bounce back and and get the momentum back because this is you know they'll jump on top of you and uh, I 
I think, you know, Travis Wilson might have a really good game. And, and we have the, the USC secondary. They made some good plays. But the last two quarterbacks they faced haven't been all that accurate. I think Wilson's a lot more accurate of a quarterback. So he might, you know, hit a couple of those big plays that maybe, uh, you know, we saw Davis, you know, Davis Mills miss uh, last week. So it might put USC in a different position. And it's going to be up to the offense to score, score some more. So I, I think USC can handle business, but you got to be ready. If they play, you know, a C-plus game, they'll definitely lose. Beware of Mormon Manziel. <laughs> he, you guys like him right he's good you know yeah, he, out. Yeah, yeah he's a good player he's a very good player he is ryan abraham you can follow him on twitter at inside troy uscfootball.com is where we get all of our usc football tidbits and information uh they're one of the best in the network so ryan thank you so much for taking some time uh to come and join us here on the cover three podcast hey thanks for having me on you guys have a great College football weekend. It's going to be fun. Woo! Hey, Ryan, make sure you tell your people at USC that Jack Del Rio wants the job, okay? He's trying to, he's trying to, he's trying to spread the word, so let, let yeah. them all know. Yeah, the, the message boards really love to hear that. They, they go crazy hearing, oh, yeah, another former USC football. That sounds great. Hey, what is, what is it? He needs to not know the fight song, right? Is that one of the first rules of the next head coach? I, I only have two rules, and people get on me for this. Like, they can't know the USC fight song, and they have to have been a successful head coach somewhere before. So that's all. I mean, it's really that simple. Like, <laughs> USC can't follow those rules. I don't know why, but that's, if you just did that, you would be fine. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. All right, take care.